Greetings, friends. I'm Andrew Crusoe, and welcome back to Ascendant, a show about our journey from scarcity to abundance, thoughts becoming things, life's fun surprises, and so much more. Today, I am very excited and thankful to present to you an interview with Roxanne Darling, one of the very first video podcasters in the world, technologist, fine artist, writer, so much more. We had such a lovely conversation about the power of showing up, how podcasting can open doors, what it led to for rocks. It's not where you think. It involves an aircraft carrier, a fine art photo project inspired by the trees, why NFTs are so powerful for artists, and much more. There is a lot in this interview. I think you're going to love it. Enjoy. Greetings, friends, and welcome back to Ascendant. Today, I am so excited to have Roxanne Darling on the show. She's an artist, writer. Uh, a long time ago, she was a marine biologist, ballet dancer, health coach, seasoned technologist. Uh, Roxanne, you have worn so many hats, <laughs> including video podcaster. You had my mm-hmm. favorite video podcast way back in the day called Beach Walks with Rocks. Uh, I don't even know where to start. Thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing today? I am doing very well, and thank you <laughs> for that great intro. I I have been all over the map, literally and figuratively, and um, <laughs> it's not super normal, but it's it's a happy normal for me. So, is it paranormal? Uh, at times, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> you said super normal, and it reminded me of a Douglas Adams book. He said at one point, um, you couldn't use paranormal or um, supernatural. So they were going for super normal at one point. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's just my random words. Yeah. Words, words. Um, yeah, I, I am a channel for source energy also, so we can, we can go out there or stay here wherever you like. We'll probably get there in the after show. Yeah. Great. When people ask you, what do you do? They know, obviously that answer has changed. What do you tell them these days? Well, it is. it has always been challenging for me uh, for two reasons. One, because I'm often in between um, different avocations. And the mm-hmm. other is because um, I- I've actually had a few of my careers I've been a little embarrassed about. And, and thirdly, actually, I guess it's a three-point answer, is, you know, what I've learned, and it took me a couple of decades to figure this out, but really my, my main thing and what am I doing in life is I'm a student of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, if, if somebody wants to find a thread through all of those very different on the surface career paths, um, mm-hmm. that would be it. Right now, what I'm doing is um, I've actually declared 2022 is the year of puttering. Oh. <laughs> because I I feel like I'm on the verge of one of those transitions, but I don't know exactly what it is yet. Uh, in the past, I've been very clear when I'm ready to leave one thing and start a new thing. But right mm. now, um, I the pandemic affected me rather mm. deeply on a psycho-spiritual level, and I have been uh, playing with creating art and uh, mm-hmm. publishing some poetry the poetry is something I've been doing since I was a teenager. So it, it's not a new thing, but it isn't anything I've been public about. Mm. And so uh, I just, I like to 
just say I'm a student of consciousness, artist, writer, and, you know, lover of humanity, because Mm. that's the other thread in my life. I'm very much a people person. (laughs) (laughs) And I I like people and I like different kinds of people. Um, And I get bored when things are too much same, same. That's a very, that's, there's a lot we could explore in there. Yes. Where did you, I mean, so this show uh, nominally is about our journey from scarcity to abundance Mm -hmm. and thoughts becoming things and uh, our journey as seekers. And you've had an advantage over some people, I could argue, because you've had this level of diversity, right? You've, You've been able to explore life and um like you said a student you've been a student in many dis- different disciplines mm-hmm. so it sort of gives you these different angles to look at you know so many more angles than some people get um mm-hmm. i i mean i i'm not even sure where to get. <laughs> like, <laughs> see my my first my first exposure to you as many people uh was probably through the podcast which um i don't know if those are still up but if people haven't seen and i know this probably feels like a thousand years ago to you but mm-hmm. There's still a lot of good stuff in those episodes. Um, I was really touched by some of those. And they were short. They were these, like, what, two to five minute video. And this is back when it was not easy to do video. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so Beach Walks with Rocks is still live. Um, we have a website, beachwalks.tv, uh, mm-hmm. that has all of our episodes and comments and everything, the history of, of the quote the show mm-hmm. and we're also on vimeo and we are also on youtube so i uh, spent quite a yeah. lot of time you know neither of those platforms existed when we first started so we were using ad hoc well our own servers for video hosting and then uh, video hosting companies came along most of them are now out of business except for uh, vimeo and youtube yeah and um, so the show is still up and we still get three or 400 views a month. <laughs> hey, and not people, bad for not advertising. People still find us. And uh, yeah, it was kind of like my debutante ball, my coming out um, <laughs> period. Because there I was on the beach every day with uh, secret cameraman Shane and our adorable mm. dog Lexi, which was mm. really the hook for the show. But um, yeah, it was very early in, in that, uh, YouTube was, video blogger space. It was and, like 06, 07, wasn't it? Yeah, February 06 is when we started. Wow. And it was very hard. Um, mm. I saw somebody, you know, a politician recently saying kids shouldn't have to take their laptops and sit outside of Starbucks to do their homework, um, you know, in, in many uh, underserved areas where they don't have good internet at home. And I thought, yeah. oh, and that's what we did. <laughs> Back in the day, um, you know, if we were on the road or whatever, uh, we would sit outside a Starbucks and upload our show, our episodes. Oh, now I'm remembering. There's so many. <laughs> there's so much I want to talk about, Rox. I'm going to try to do one thing at a time. I'm remembering a story that you told me once, where you were actually on the Big Island and you were looking for Wi-Fi to upload. I don't know if you remember telling me this to upload an episode of Beach Walks. And it, you were in Hilo, I think, where I used to live. Yeah. And you somehow found Wi-Fi. And this was like back in the day, like what was the upload on that? Like it would have, it probably took you 
at least a half an hour. 45 minutes was, yeah. was our typical, yeah, for, for a three-minute episode that at that time was, I mean, right, it was not, you know, 1080p or anything. It was, it was 340 like by right? 360 by 240, and it still took, you know, 30, 40 minutes to upload this little baby file. Um, yeah, so the, the early days of the Internet. And I bring that up because it... It's my fir- it was my first exposure to you, and then I looked at your website, and I became familiar with the other things you're working on, like your podcast, uh, In the Transition, mm-hmm. which has some wonderful reframes and stories. Uh, it's been a little while since I've listened to it, but everybody should... W- I should put that in the show notes as well. I, I yeah. have pod-faded, so I, maybe I'll come <laughs> back after this. <laughs> it was yeah. fun getting my podcasting mic out. <laughs> for this interview so i i mean if it's not already obvious i love podcasting i love how it brings people together <laughs> I There's do a too. Reason. i've started four of these darn things um and this is the one maybe this is the fifth one i don't remember um this is the show that i want to um kind of follow with me and reflect yes the student of consciousness journey that um i, I feel that i'm on as well mm-hmm lead with me i'm actually taking this show on the road um because i'm going to europe but um, oh wow in a few months Exciting. yeah 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 but <clears throat> the show is not about me though it's about yeah. everyone else <laughs> <laughs> and the people who inspire me um well we have a lot of beachwalks fans in europe so let me know if you're uh if you if you start um scrounging for guests <laughs> Oh, hey, cool. Yeah. Because that's, yeah. that is the flip side of podcasting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's this, there's this spiritual concept of being so clearly about who you are that the radio signals that one transmits out are hmm. at the perfect frequency for someone who's interested in that to find you. Instead hmm. of broadcasting on this, you know, wide spectrum, a little bit of something for everybody, which then just gets lost in the noise, mm-hmm. um, fine tuning that. And, and that's really what Beachwalks did. We put out a very distinct, quirky uh, show that mm-hmm. on the surface was not about consciousness, but as it turns out, it was um, because I just went to the beach every morning and shared what was on my mind. And it attracted the most, I mean, I, you know, we can go to the mat after the show, but <laughs> the best <laughs> audience ever <laughs> of, of people who appreciated what we were doing and who gave back in so many ways and have become yeah. really dear friends. So, hmm. you know, the, the, the people, we find each other. Hmm. Um, if somebody's willing to start the conversation and put, put this clear frequency out there on the airwaves rocks that's beautiful and that that is absolutely my intention with ascendant Mm -hmm. um to explore consciousness and to sort of like polarize us to um i mean this is kind of the secret of the show i haven't really said yet which is this is episode five so we can five is like action right symbolizes action Mm -hmm. there's i have a dear friend that's her favorite number um is the whole point is to help people to focus their thoughts in the direction of their desires. Energy flows where attention goes, which mm-hmm. I know you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's part of this show is we can start that conversation more and more. And um, yeah, a lot to say about that, but 
Yeah, that's a really, I guess I'm just curious. Were you, I mean, obviously you were living relatively close to the beach. Um, how did the idea, and there's a lot I want to talk about, but maybe another good place to start is like, how did the idea for that show come about? Well, uh, Shane had been, my partner had been podcaster number 32 in the universe. Um, so he's, he's the, the true geek in the family. And so he, um, had managed web servers and built a ton of databases and websites, um, for over 10 years already at that point. And he found out about podcasting and he made a show. So he was right there with Dave Weiner and Adam Curry and, you know, um, Todd from Oahu, uh, who went on to found Blueberry. These were all the early pioneers. And um, he, you know, it was fun and he figured it all out, but he didn't have the, he's very introverted. He didn't have the podcaster personality. (laughs) and so then, and and that was only for audio, of course. So in the very beginning, the RSS feeds could only attach an audio file. And then, mm-hmm. I don't know, six, nine months later, they figured out how to attach a video file. Okay, well, now we have a video podcast. So yeah. we thought, well, we should experiment with that just, you know, for our business so we can be first in the class <laughs> yeah. of, of web geeks. And we we spent six months trying to come up with an idea and we couldn't. Nothing landed, and because we were trying Mm. to be, we were looking from the outside in, and we were thinking, oh, it should be a small business podcast or this. Mm. And then finally, one day, I said, you know, I go to the beach every morning with Lexi. Mm. Um, Why don't you bring the camera and we'll film something? We'll just see how it goes. And so (laughs) that's how we started Beach Walks with Rocks. And after two weeks, we had viewers in sixty countries, and we were filling a void apparently of people who wanted to watch a woman walk on the beach in Hawaii with a beautiful black lab going in and out of the water saying something positive, you know, short and sweet, just a little positive thought for the day. Um, So it was really synchronicity. It was, you know, you have to believe in, in the universe at that point, because we didn't Mm -hmm. come up with that idea and plan it and strategize it. We just showed Mm up. We just Mm -hmm. shared what we did anyway. Mm -hmm. And that really, is what social media has shown us is that mm-hmm. you don't have to fake yourself up. Just be who you are and be willing to share it now and then and see what mm-hmm. resonates. Um, that's the, the positive authentic- side of social media, but it, <laughs> right. Well, we all, we're all plenty of people own. gaming the system, but yeah, sure. Sure. But what you're saying points to the bigger truth in my experience, which is that the vulnerability and perhaps even more importantly, the authenticity is very attractive and compelling to people, especially smart people who want to find shows and be challenged a little bit and uh, get some helpful food for thought. I think that's a great way to put it. Um, so I think about there, it. There, there is that group of people and we're online mm-hmm. and that is what we're looking for. You know, we're, we're tired of the Madison Avenue approach to life. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, <laughs> beach walks really got to, got to prove that in a lot of ways. I mean, at this point it's internet. I mean, if you think about pod, I mean, I remember when podcasts first, as you do as well, first started coming up 
it started getting a little bit of traction, and I think it was like 2005, and then 2006. I mean, they were around a little bit before 05, but like the Daily Source Code uh, with Adam Curry, I think, started mm-hmm. in 05, mm-hmm. and then 2006. Apple moved pretty quickly on this. This I was I was surprised. I think a lot of people were surprised how quickly Apple created a podcast directory and put it in the iTunes Store. Yes, and, well, that was coincidental with the iPod. Uh, Right. You know, itself, which meant you could have a computer in your pocket, an, an mm-hmm. audio device in your pocket. Um, so, yes, they were they were made for each other, you know, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we needed we needed the device and they needed the content. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's pretty amazing how it came together in that way. And mm-hmm. was, was there ever a moment in the development of the show where you're like, oh, man. We just, we burned through too many gigabytes this month. How are we going to do this? Because <laughs> that's a real, that was a real concern back then, the, the, how much data you'd get with a hosting plan. Um, I'm just curious, like, what early challenges and early rewards were like with the show? Being, being, being pioneers that you guys were. I mean, there weren't that many video podcasts. No, there weren't any. And we were the only one that um, produced a show every single day. Uh, really? There was Rocket Boom, which started a few months after we did, um, you know, it was a newsy, kind of a cheeky newsy show, Mm -hmm. and they did Monday through Friday. Um, But we did, excuse me, seven days a week for 403 days. Whoa. (laughs) I didn't remember that. So a a lot of people, we never bragged about that or, you know... but but if you go back and look at the dates on those Holy. very very early episodes, you'll see every single day for four hundred and three days we we did a show, mm-hmm. and that really was our stress point because oh, that man. was hard, and it was a labor of love. We of yeah. course were not making any money on it. Nobody was t- doing ads or anything at that point, and right. we it was a three to four hour a day process. Yep. And that it put a lot of stress on the relationship because mm-hmm. um, I was the front-facing person. And so I got all the love and attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Shane was the secret cameraman who, by mm-hmm. choice, you know, was behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And he he got bored a lot faster than I did. Literally, I think on day 11 or something, he said, well... Uh, I think we've pretty much shot everything I can shoot. I I don't have any more angles. I've got this view. I've got this view. Because <laughs> we went to the same beach every day. Right. Um, and I said, well, we'll just repeat then. You know, just, we'll just go out there and do it. And so. Because it's not about the angles. It's, it's about the, con- it's about the conversation, right? For the viewers, Generally, yes. But if you think about it, you know, from, oh, from your production staff, yeah. he was bored out of his gourd. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's something, you know, for that people have to plan on in a sense, if you want to do something for the long term, how do you maintain your own enthusiasm and, yeah. and inspiration and energy for it? And to your point about authenticity, part of mm. what made it work for me was I had a few very simple rules for myself. One was that the show would never be scripted. Uh, so that saved a lot of time. Um, uh, I, I just was going to trust myself to have something in the moment, you know, 
the forces coming together to Source, feed give me. me a message. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and the second thing was that uh, we had no hair and makeup. So mm-hmm. it, and this was this was the part that for me personally was so earth shattering because I had always been the kind of person that you know gets dressed for mm-hmm. whatever work assignment I have. Mm-hmm. And had invested a lot of, I don't know, subconscious, if not conscious beliefs Mm -hmm. that I need to look and act a certain way in order to be accepted. So Mm. being able to just, I mean, we literally rolled out of bed and went to the beach. (laughs) (laughs) I did brush my teeth. (laughs) Not that it would matter uh, to anyone on the on on video right but, but it'll make you feel different and you can show up more potentially. yes yes so that that's how it was and so some days you know it's rainy and windy and we had to work with that you know what can we do in the wind and the rain and other days you know one one day it was raining and windy and cold and it was not very long it was maybe two weeks in or less right around the time shane was thinking he shot everything <laughs> and I said, I do not feel like talking today. Mm. And so we got out of the car and uh, he turned the camera on me and I said, I don't feel like talking today. So I'm just going to go for a swim and Shane will give you some nice footage of the ocean and hopefully we'll all feel a little better in a couple of minutes. Mm. And that was the episode. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to find that one. I don't. I think I might have missed that one. To be honest, yeah, it's very early on. But the idea being, you know, Hmm. with a daily show, you can really stretch the limits of Hmm. what's possible, Hmm. what's uh, viable, what's acceptable. Why did it have to be every day for you guys? Like, like, like I could understand like six days a week and then taking one off, but that's pretty. That's that's commitment. It was very macho. And, you know, that was one of those aspects of my personality at that time. I'm not sure what I was trying to prove, but, (laughs) you know, like I said, after a few weeks to have people in 60 countries and we were getting a ton of feedback and, you know, people, you know, my mother, for one, in Michigan, you know, she wanted to see a new episode every morning when she got up and had breakfast because the computer was in her kitchen. so I felt that people were expecting something from us and it, that was motivating Mm -hmm. to me. Um, I was Mm -hmm. happy to give back. Mm -hmm. I appreciated that people made space for us in their busy lives. Yeah. And, and then it was, you know, with the, both of us are, are very, um, you know, high level of commitment to the things that we do. And so we just did it until we couldn't do it every day anymore. <laughs> did you ever have a different schedule with the show? Was there ever like a, we're going to do it three times a week now? Or we, you know, we decided since we never announced that we were going to do it every day, uh, that was one of the other rules. We were not going to go into the future and try and uh, overlay hmm. what was happening in the present with some idea that we had of what it should be in a month. So we never, we never said one way or another. Um, and so I, I would have to actually go back and look at the date stamps to be totally mm-hmm. accurate, but we, we just kind of slowly faded out over the next three or four years of doing, um, mm-hmm. you know, 
we'd skip a day, we'd skip a few days. Um, we'd do a bunch of shows if, if we took a trip or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 2008, 2009, we were invited on to the USS Nimitz, the nuclear-powered aircraft Ooh. carrier. Wow. And we shot seven long episodes from that 24-hour experience. <laughs> So we just, we, we got a lot more flexible in terms of letting life mm-hmm. help us in terms of dictating what the content was going to be. I should put that in the show notes, that episode, um, mm-hmm. because I, I, that does sound familiar. And it's been, it's been a little while since I've actually seen the show. Cause it, I mean, it, like you said, it basically phased out mm-hmm. in like 09, 2010, 2010. We did yeah. a few things after that. Um, we also God. moved to Maui where we weren't near a beach every day. Uh, so just the so mechanics. You moved where? When we moved from Oahu to Maui. Oh, you started on Oahu. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. And, and we did shoot some on Maui, but never very regularly. Just, they were kind of special episodes. Where would you shoot on, because uh, I'm on Oahu right now for a little while longer. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share um, the beach or what area you would shoot a lot of those at? Um, or is it a secret beach? <laughs> this is not, I'm getting it a little anxiety. My oh, friends there said, don't ever mention the town because okay. already it was overrun with tourists. Mm. And now it's. 50 million times more overloaded with tourists. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've also implemented some controls so that the locals mm-hmm. can actually get to the beach. But it was on the east side of Oahu. And okay. if you live there, you know the best beaches on the east yeah. side. That's yeah. where we were. <laughs> yeah, okay. I can guess. I can guess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot. Oh, oh was it kind of, oh, it's like the, kind of the isolated area on the east side? I think I know what you're talking about. A there, little bit, yeah, where the road dead ends. Yeah, Oahu is very interesting. You you know, it it feels sometimes it feels like three separate islands. There are mm. these like little pockets. Very yeah. much or four, you know, because yeah. there's Waikiki and then there's mm-hmm. um Haleiwa. Well, yeah, there's there's all there's North Shore, there's West mm. Side, there's um up country. Yeah, mm. it's all it's a very diverse island, very rich. Haula is one of my little spots I like to mm-hmm. check out sometimes. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, all the islands are like that. Like Big Island is that times 10. There's yes. stuff in Big Island. You could just never, you could, you could explore Big Island for years and never, <laughs> never see all the beaches you couldn't, or, or all the cliffs. Half of the time they're not even beaches, they're cliffs. But mm-hmm. um, did that, doing that show, like, Oh man, how did you know, how did Shane know that he was the 32nd podcaster? I'm curious. There was a message board of some kind that they were all on and people were keeping track as every new (laughs) podcaster came online. (laughs) Wow. Was that, what's his name? David, something, was he the first one? The guy who was actually working on the RSS spec? Dave Weiner. Yeah, yeah he's the one that he, created RSS. He got to be number one, right? Yes. Yeah. And I don't remember how Adam Curry got in there so fast, but, um, you know, because he was coming off of MTV at that time. Yeah. He was like 
two or three or four, right? Yeah, he was in there early, and Todd, you know, with Blueberry, he was in mm-hmm. there very early, and he was still, you know, he was living on Oahu at the time and uh, working for the Navy, but also no just very deep geek cred. Who knew that Oahu, the island I'm on right now, had such has so many connections to really early podcasting? Yeah. <laughs> Hawaii just makes people want to make podcasts, I guess. Why not? Well, Hawaii, (laughs) like we were saying before we started the recording, um, Mm. they got got wired there early and well, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. was really smart. Which is kind of amazing because we're something like 3,000 miles from a continent. Like mm-hmm. I, think, I think we're like three and a half thousand miles from California. So these you, are like, you know. You've probably heard that stat. Hawaii is the most isolated landmass on the globe. Yeah, I repeat it like 14 times in my book. <laughs> okay, uh, never mind. Like annoying. Everybody I, knows I probably, it already. I put it too much. Well, no, but it, well, you got to be careful when you say that though, right? Have you, ever, have you ever been like called out and be like, you know, then you have like Carl Van Hoop would go, well, actually, it's very interesting because, or, and it'll be Antarctica. But it, I think, don't we have to be, don't we have to say the most isolated population center? That, that's, what, that's what I was told. You got to be careful uh, how you phrase it. I'm, I'm not up to speed on the, the nuances. So okay. I will take a back seat on that uh, topic I don't, from here on uh, forward. <laughs> I'm, st- I'm still the, a student as well. So <laughs> I'm always up for being, because um, like Antarctica, I think is a little bit more isolated, but it's not. A population center mm-hmm. so i've had this like little conversation it's it doesn't matter it's just like okay we're really isolated yeah I'm cutting that's that all out. we need to say yeah <laughs> cut it all out but we're so far from the continent it's just amazing how these fiber optic cables like it's the lifeline to these islands mm-hmm. these undersea cables and you don't really think about that until you do like a ping and you go oh wow like getting a 60 millisecond round trip to California is amazing when you think about how far away you are. I but. agree. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> but I'm nerding out now. So he was 32 and that bit of, I mean, you, you both were 32 in a way, every 30 second podcaster. Um, did it have an effect on your business? I mean, you were doing, uh, you were you were building websites for companies. You were doing like tech assistance for companies on the islands at the time, weren't you? Uh, yes, and so that that is the reason that that he started it, and that's the reason we started Beachwalks. Is you know, mm-hmm. let's figure out what the mechanics are and mm-hmm. what it really takes uh, to put something like this together, and what might be the business use for it, and so. Um, you know, we never made hardly a dime. We had a couple mm-hmm. of little baby sponsorships for for beach walks over time, mm-hmm. but we didn't make money on the show itself. But it was it opened a ton of doors for us, and mm-hmm. people wanted to know how to do it and why to do it and all of those things. And so we ended up. Um, I gave a you know tons of talks, spoke at South by Southwest, Blog mm-hmm. World gazillion pod camps uh, <laughs> and and it did position our business in a way that was very helpful for us um, mm. because 
we had something very tangible to show for being such a forward thinking company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we could walk our talk mm-hmm. and because we had a dog in it, <laughs> it was very yeah. fun and, and lighthearted. And it was mm-hmm. an easy way to draw people into something that otherwise, if you start just talking about it, technically they'd glaze over. But yeah. because the content of what we were doing was interesting and mm-hmm. very, very universal mm-hmm. um, and apolitical. I mean, I, I did discuss occasionally political topics, but I mm-hmm. tried to, to play a, a very neutral role for the most part. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so it made it very accessible to people. And it was a great way for us to establish our credibility and, and be invited, you know, to speak at events and that sort of thing. Did you get, So you never know, you know, like in terms of your scarcity to abundance um, subtext here, mm-hmm. we sometimes find something that we love and we pressure it to produce for us in ways mm. that it was not intended to. Mm. And that's one of the lessons that I learned from beach walks. Um, we had an agent uh, for one, for a while and she came very close to closing a couple of very big deals for us, but they never did close. Mm. And, um, you know, part of me, you know, early on, I would say I never knew what I wanted to do when I grew up because it hadn't been invented yet. And that was to be a video podcast host. (laughs) You know, I loved doing that show. Mm -hmm. And I met, as I said, the most amazing people all around the world as a result of it. But it in and of itself was not the vehicle for financial reward. Right. Uh, But it was a means, but there were so many connections and networking that came out of that. Exactly. Yeah. networking and, and just a ton of personal self-confidence, you know, because it, it, mm. it, it fed me in so many ways that allowed mm. me to do things, other things down the road that were financially uh, successful that I, I truly believe I got, I built my confidence base by doing beach walks. Mm. So we just never quite know, you know, and it's kind of the kid yeah. mind, the monkey mind that thinks, oh, this is the thing. And I'm going to just basically make <laughs> it do everything for me. Right. No, <laughs> that's not fair. To Why it. does that not work? I mean, because it's because we have, when you have that mindset, what do you have? You're sort of like limiting what reality can do. Yeah. Um, you're exactly. constricting, right? Like it has to come through this way. But when mm-hmm. you have an intention or an affirmation, it's much better to be like this or something better mm-hmm. sort of attitude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree completely. You know, it's like I can't predict what's going to happen with this show. I'm sure the format will will morph over time. Mm-hmm. But it feels very in alignment right now. And I think it's something that's going to continue to evolve with me. And... um I'm just wondering, like, how did you, was it, I, mean, I have a basic question, a complicated question. Like, how did you know where people were? Was, was it iTunes giving you analytics data? Or were you actually just looking at Webalizer? Oh, my God, I can't let you say that. Uh, like, your, your, like, your actual stats on your server and being like, oh, this IP is Lithuania. Wow. It, it was both. Uh, so we did have analytics at the time, and I I'm sorry, I don't have that disc in, but uh, Google had something that they bought and then they proceeded to uh, 
get rid of. Turned into analytics or is it, they had a, a, some, uh, a handful of those that they bought and probably, yes, they did get rolled into analytics. So, so yes, so we were able to look at our web uh, server stats and iTunes uh, gave some information. Um, Feedburner was something that was around Aww. and miss Feedburner. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, we could get information from Feedburner. And then we just got emails and letters and postcards, you know, like the real deal. This, Hi, I'm in London. And, you know. Did, did you have like a P.O. box you'd have on the site? We didn't have, uh, well, we had a P.O. box. Um, I don't recall sharing that particularly unless people asked for it. But people hmm. did send gifts to Lexi when it was her birthday. Oh. Um, <laughs> dog toys and, and things of that sort. Um, but tons and tons of email and, and comments and people, yeah. you know, enjoyed telling us where they were from. So oh, that yeah. was also cool. So how did that kind of transition into your, you're winding that down. Were you helping other people and companies create podcasts after that? Or like what, what were some of the knock on effects to your own business, your own abundance journey? what were some things you feel um, came out of, of doing the show? Cause you did the show for, you did the show really regularly for, it was about more than a couple of years, three. Four? I'd say for four years, we were yeah. pretty regular. Yeah. Um, and then for a couple more years, we dropped something in now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yes, we did help a number of people start podcasting. Uh, we had a web client, uh, here in Santa Fe, that uh, is a large nonprofit uh, private foundation, and they give lots of money away and hmm. have a, a live speaker series uh, nine months of the year. And they bring in Nobel Prize winning caliber uh, speakers. And back in 2008, we got, you know, we started them podcasting. Uh, and they're still podcasting. So uh, they have been, you know, prior to that, they used to hire videographers to record these events. Mm-hmm. And they had developed a, a rather extensive video library on video cassette. And they would give those cassettes away to uh, colleges and universities because people wanted to hear from these uh, guests of theirs. And they were used in the curriculum, that sort of thing. And then when we started podcasting for them, now, of course, the reach just exploded mm-hmm. um, around the world because anybody anywhere could access the, that material. And when you say video cassette, are you talking about a VHS? Yes, sir. Oh, boy. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> that was how they distributed their content prior to podcasting. If Generation Z is listening to this, it is a very large <laughs> object. Plastic. <with> pla- <laughs> Plastic thing with two S- wheels in it. <laughs> spooled magnetic tape. It was never really a great idea. They really should have gone with Laserdisc, but it was cheaper. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Betamax should have won. That mm-hmm. we started. <laughs> so, wow. So you've, you've, you've kind of been through all angles of this. I, I, I feel like I should ask on behalf of the listeners, if someone's starting a podcast today, since you've been in this 
game since the early days. Would you have any advice for new people starting a video or an audio show? Well, uh, let's see. Let me see. Let me see. Well, first of all, yes, it's easier than it's ever been, and it's still hard. So hmm. if you find yourself, you know, feeling overwhelmed with all the technical um, paraphernalia, I understand. Hmm. I hear you. Hmm. Um, on the other hand, it it really tracks with this notion of authenticity of people mm. being able to have their own voice and be able to be heard. And, you know, at this stage of the game, I would say, if you're just thinking about doing it because somebody made a bullet point on a marketing plan, mm. okay, you know, explore it. But really what seems to work the best or the, not the best, I don't like mm. to use, you know, superlatives. Hmm. What seems to really work is just when people have a burning topic and they just want to talk about it, yeah. <laughs> you know, they want other people to hear it. They want other people to be hmm. exposed to some information. Hmm. Um, if you've got a little bit of that fire in your belly, that's what will hmm. keep you going through the, the thick and the thin parts. Yeah. Um, but it, it is easier than ever. There's, there's really good tools now. But you will have, still have to do research to figure out which one of those tools you want to use. Yep. Um, yeah, there's definitely um, still some limitation. You, you probably want to understand what gain is. You probably mm. want to understand, <laughs> you know, like, you know. Get a good microphone. Yeah. Get yeah. a pop filter, please. Yes. <laughs> get a, please, please get a pop yeah. filter. You know, it's a little, I could be a little negative because the podcast base is being overrun by corporate media and yeah. that's true and we all you know we those of us in the space know that mm -hmm. i think there will always be room for our independent media though mm -hmm. and yep. i have a sweet spot for for us and you know <laughs> way back in the earlier days of the internet uh kevin kevin kelly the thousand fans i'm not to have his name right sounds familiar you know you he did a bunch of research and you, you only need a thousand fans or so to really make a, a significant mark yeah. um, and perhaps even make an income. Yep. So that's not a lot of people. No. Um, and you don't have to worry about being on the top 10 list. You can make a quality product project and have something mm -hmm. that you believe to be original. And, and it, it doesn't cost hardly anything. It's just time. Mm -hmm. So why not? Why not give it a try and see what mm. happens? Mm, that's good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it just brings to mind the strength of the medium, right? Which is mm -hmm. nobody owns, you know, the spec. Like RSS, well, maybe someone does own RSS, but it's it's extremely no, it's open source. <laughs> it's completely open source. What am I yeah. saying? Yes. Um, <laughs> you just never know. You turn around, they keep extending the copyright on Mickey. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but you're right. That's you're right. It's yeah. completely is it. It's 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 under a GPL, isn't it? Something yes. Along those lines. And because nobody owns it, it can be. It's it's a medium. You can use it in any way that you want. It there's so much room for niche content. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you, it's not, it's not like YouTube where you feel like you're competing against the literally 5 billion other videos on there, which you are. And then YouTube yeah. decides 
they don't like you and poof, yep. there goes your channel. Yep. It can happen. Mm-hmm. I know I knew somebody who was shadow banned and she was losing subscribers and didn't know why and had to make a new channel. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, they wield a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you host your own stuff, um, I'm, st- I'm still just <laughs> amazed that you guys are actually self-hosting all that video <laughs> back then. That's, I don't know if people realize that's like that, like back then you, you might as well have had like a series. It's like the movie, the show Silicon Valley. You might as well have had like rack mounted servers in your closet. Like that, you know, that was just, you could really have a big bill coming depending on your agreement with your host. Yes. Yeah. And we did have a few machines, but fortunately the video hosting companies, you know, responded to the market need very quickly. Mm. So I don't, I don't know. I'd have to look and see, but you know, I'd, I would say not more than six months. Did we have to host our own files? Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you guys use Libsyn later on? Or another it one? didn't exist in the beginning. No. Oh my God. And Libsyn was originally for audio, so we never... I, I use it now for my In the Transition podcast, a great service. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I remember, you know, when they started it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, in my head, like Libsyn's been around for 20 years, but that's not true. Not um, quite. Yeah. Getting close, though. <laughs> it's It's kind of wild how the web has sort of like aged gracefully in some ways and sometimes you go to a spot and you're like whoa this hasn't had any love for 12 years and you can, <laughs> <laughs> you can feel it in the, in some of these some of these other sites i see if i can transition into another area i want to touch on which is your art now i i know you started doing more black and white you started doing this project where you're out in nature mm-hmm. and all natural um, what was, how did your work kind of lead to this more purely artistic, it really feels like it's, it's extremely personal and it's coming from your heart. I'd love to hear sort of the origins of that. I mean, I have a feeling you've always been a very creative person just from, from a kid, but how did, how did life lead you to doing more of that? Cause some of these photos are just gorgeous. Um, and I can tell you put a lot of thought in, in heart into him. Well, uh, thank you for your comments. I appreciate that. Um, You know, life, this was, uh, again, something, you know, not a plan, but my father died. My mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and she was getting her care. And then in 2014, her care plan fell apart at the last minute because her primary caregiver had to move Uh, back to the Philippines because her own parents were ill Mm -hmm. and we needed someone to take care of my mom. And I, you know, have always been, have laptop can travel kind of person. (laughs) One of the luxuries, right. Of being a technologist. Mm -hmm. And so I moved to Florida um, to live with her and two things happened as Mm -hmm. a result of that. One is I kind of broke the, addiction that I had to having to work really hard on billable hours. Um, Mm. uh, I I just felt if I wasn't billing, I wasn't finding my worth. 
that was silly to oh, begin with, but we get into so that pattern, right? Real, especially in America, that is so real. Mm-hmm. Very People real. People get stuck into that. And and then secondly, she herself was an uh, a late blooming artist, and so hmm. what we did most days was we sat at the dining room table and we drew and colored. Oh. And so this was like 180 degrees opposite for me. Um, <laughs> and anyway, about uh, a year, a little over a year after that, she died. And uh, mm. I got a little inheritance and uh, Shane and I bought an RV. And we, um, it, well, interestingly enough, I, th- I think this is my artist related to my mother because in her 80s, mm. she went down in the basement and pulled up all these paintings she had made for the previous 20 years. None of us knew she had been taking art classes or doing any of this. And we put on a little show for her at her golf club and her friends came and bought her paintings, (laughs) you know, little country club. Talk about this goth club. Oh, golf, golf, golf and tennis, a a country club. Okay. Okay. That's a little more on brand for Florida. When did you go? Can I ask what year you went to Florida? Uh, 2014 and 2015. Okay. So that's why you left Hawaii. Yeah. When you did. I always wondered why. So. And then you got surprise paintings. That's, what must have been mind mind blowing. Wasn't that wild? It was wild for us, you know, her daughters who like didn't know anything about this. And, um, so then the day of her funeral, after the funeral, Shane and I went for a walk by this lake near the hotel we were staying at in Michigan, mm. just where her main home was, mm. her funeral arrangements and everything. And I just, there was a little abandoned dinghy sitting on the side of the lake. And for some reason, I had this urge to take my clothes off and make a photograph. Mm. And it was a very cloudy day and just like perfect mood you know, post-funeral in the fall. And and this and, is the same day as the funeral. Yeah, that was the same day yeah. as the funeral. Wow. So then that happened, and I didn't think about it. And, um, and then hmm. a, six months later, we buy this RV, and we spend two months traveling around the western United States. And I kept having that same experience where we'd be out hiking, and I would hear the place speaking to me mm. right here, right now, make an image. Mm. And I am somewhat compliant personality. Uh, I listened to nature and you I did what to the muse. I did what nature asked. And, um, you know, so I did that for two months and then oh. those photos just sat on a hard drive for about a year. And then we moved back to New Mexico and I decided to sign up for a class at Santa Fe photographic workshops. And I printed out the work and I said, I have no idea if there's anything here, but is there anything here? Is this a like project? Is this something, are these images any good? I don't know. My, my previous husband had gotten his master's in fine art and photography. So I had learned a lot about the fine art of the photography business. Mm. Um, and so I, I knew at least the right questions to ask. And I got great feedback from that. And long story short, 
I, I made a project and I wrote poems hmm. for each photograph. Mm -hmm. And I realized that it was nature calling me to hmm. um, communicate basically the messages of how women and nature are very much treated the same. People revere us and idolize us in our perfect state. They also denigrate us and trash us and don't take care of us. Wow. And I, that became, and then of course, you know, I took these pictures in my 60s, not hmm. when I had, uh, not in my 30s when I was a dancer and owned right. an aerobic studio and had 10% body fat, you know. You owned an aerobic studio. Yeah, add, have, add that to the list. <laughs> you have so many lives, Rox. I'm just so delighted. Yeah. So so that project, you know, that's another one of those things of um, thoughts into things. Mm -hmm. But in this mm -hmm. case, my thought was, was just listening to nature because nature was doing most of the talking and I was merely willing to listen. Mm -hmm. And I had a couple of instances where it was really really vivid. Uh, one in the redwoods where there was a fallen tree mm. and I felt that tree calling to me and Shane said, well, you know, we're 300 yards from the parking lot uh, <laughs> and we're eight feet from the side of the trail. And I said, yeah, mm. <laughs> we are. Mm. So mm. we walked for an hour and a half and I tried other trees um, mm. but I came on the way out, that tree was still saying, no, this tree right here, right now. <laughs> it must be so fun to hike with you. Because <laughs> <laughs> in California, like you can get arrested, you know, it's stupid, but you know. You, you can and you can't. So that's a good point. In the national parks and in many state parks, it is yeah. not illegal to be nude. It is, is that right? illegal to practice lewd behavior with an L. Right. right. And and clearly some people who are more conservative by nature might consider nudity to be lewd, but technically yeah. lewd is sexually yeah. um, sexual behavior. And in America, people conflate those all the time. Yes, we do confuse them very yeah. badly, very much. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I was just all prepared. You know, if anyone came along, we're just artists. We're doing an art project. You know, we're, we'll just be a few minutes, but no one came and um, wow. the photograph was taken and the poem, you know, was written. Um, What's that and, one called? I want to put that in the show notes. Oh, that one is called. Uh, if you can okay. remember, if you can't, can you can remember, give me the link. But just give, give me, me one second. Um, resting in the Redwoods. Resting in the Redwoods. And what's the best way for people to see that? Should they go? I know you put some on your Instagram mm -hmm. or is there a, is it better to get a link to your website? Where You know, I have a, I have a project site just for this body of work and it's called I am for the love of nature.com. It's, it's long, but it's just like it sounds. Okay. I am for the love of nature.com. Yes. Right and on. they can um, read the poems there. And, you know, the poems are largely nature speaking to me. Mm. Mm. Um, 
I'll put that in the show notes for this episode at andrewcrusoe.com slash podcasts. It'll redirect you. Um, you. Because I want people to be able to see some of these images. Because mm-hmm. uh, they're really lovely. And I want to make sure. And I, I, try, I do my best with the show notes. That's wonderful. That's uh, how you are an excellent podcaster. And so many <laughs> podcast people don't bother with that. And it's so frustrating. Takes an extra yeah. 15 minutes to type up a few notes. Just get people yeah. pointed in the right direction and they will love you so much. Yeah. It's really good. Well, yeah. And then some, I, I usually I'll just do like a bulleted list, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'll have like, you know, I don't know, four to eight. Yeah. You know, depending. Yeah. That would be yeah. great. Yeah. For the love of me. But, you know, that was something that I didn't conceive of myself. That was something that, uh, like many things in my life, that I feel were delivered to me and I was mm-hmm. willing to listen. Mm-hmm. So um, that's one of my takeaways is, mm-hmm. you know, being willing to listen because there's no way our little brains, as wonderful <laughs> as they are, can come up with all the amazing possibilities that the universe presents and conceives for us. Um, and so... I have made money on that work. <laughs> Good. You know, speaking of the abundance part, and, and people keep finding me on the internet. So it's a kind of amazing. I just had a feature in an online magazine, The Edge of Humanity, um, a photo editor at Marie Claire Italia magazine found me a year and a half ago and did a four-page spread in Italy. So, you Whoa. know, um, I've sold prints of the work. I've had sh- solo show um, it, now you're now you're famous in Italy too. Thing happens. That stuff happens. Yeah. <laughs> if I make it down to Italy, I'll have to like uh, drop your name and see if anybody. <laughs> I don't think I'm famous there, but <laughs> <laughs> certain circles. Certain circles. Is it possible? So how does how does what is the business side of that? Like, can people buy prints of that through? I am for the love of nature.com. Like how much, you know, cause there's the creative side. Right. But then, mm-hmm. but then like you don't, you know, it's, I don't know. It's good to be thoughtful about, you don't want to like come across like you're trying to squeeze it too much. Kind of like what you're saying earlier, you sort of just feel out, okay, what is, how, how is the response to this? What is, yeah. What does humanity want from mm-hmm. this? What has been your journey with figuring out? Cause it sounds like that wasn't necessarily, uh, a goal to have it make a bunch of money, but what was your journey like? In right, th- right. The the experience in nature was the first thing, mm-hmm. and then getting these messages and and literally being gifted the poems um, mm-hmm. was another aspect to it. Um, and but yes, I I do have prints for sale on my website. Uh, they're limited edition prints. I have a book that Ooh. I made out of the work with the poems, and that's for sale on my website. And I have hmm. sold a couple of NFTs uh, from the work. Oh, we should talk about this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're 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 we're, uh, we're we're going a little long, but how about we talk about NFTs? Maybe a couple action on we can wrap. We can we can kind of start to wrap after NFTs, and then we'll do a little after show. How does that sound? Sounds fine. So I keep thinking about NFTs and it's right now in 2022, even they're still very new. There feels, it feels like there's a big learning curve and, you know, 
I own some crypto. I think it's a very powerful platform. Some of these, some of these uh, blockchains are very powerful. Some of these won't be around. <clears throat> Dogecoin, but some some of these are just incredible. Um, how how did you get into NFTs? Like, how do you look at them? These non fungible tokens for people mm-hmm. who are new to, to all this this crazy crypto stuff that's taken over the world. Well, um, there's a lot of questions in there. <laughs> there are. I'm sorry. Um, no, no, it's fine. That's that's my uh, machine gun method. Also, <laughs> uh, so so what the, what it is is it's like a license. Um, a, a person can buy um, an NFT of one of my images, and then they have that image as a JPEG file in their crypto wallet, and mm-hmm. so they can show it uh, to anyone you know that they are. Um, the owner of that. I sell unique editions. I don't sell multiple editions. So one of one. And um, I. Oh, so there's only one NFT of that photo you were describing earlier in the yes. Redwood Park? Yes. Well, I haven't, oh. I haven't minted that one yet, but right. the, the two that I've minted um, have been purchased and they're one of one owners. Um, huh. And, and so they're in, uh, collectors wallets yep and uh for my collectors i give them a free copy of the book if they buy an nft mm-hmm. um, and uh, one collector wanted a print so i also gave him a print the mm-hmm. other collector did not want a print so oh. um that's the mechanics of mm-hmm. how that works um should we warn the listeners that this is probably going to get pretty technical pretty fast, but we're going to do our best. Sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> now I'm curious, like, you know, what blockchain is it on? But I'll, I'll keep going. Both of them uh, were purchased with Ethereum. Yeah. And um, so, so with NFTs, it's interesting because, you know, most of the money, generically mm-hmm. speaking, everything here is like in air quotes, generic rough, rough estimates. Um, Mm -hmm. but a lot of the money in NFTs came from Bitcoin investors, early Bitcoin investors Mm whose the price of Bitcoin has gone up astronomically. Mm -hmm. And so these people have all of this value in air quotes, and there's (laughs) very few places to spend it because Bitcoin, I mean, a few quirky coffee shops take Bitcoin and you know, whatnot. But for the most part, it is not a transactional platform. Ethereum is. Ethereum is both a coin and an application. Mm -hmm. And so people have built all of these um, NFT selling platforms that Mm -hmm. take the Ethereum Ether coin. Um, And then now there are many other coins like Tezos, Solana, you know, uh, other coins that people use to purchase NFTs. Mm. And so, so, and that, and just this week, OpenSea, which is one of the largest platforms for buying Mm. and selling NFTs is taking us credit cards. So you don't have to have a crypto wallet, which is the hardest thing for the average person. If you don't own crypto, Um, you have to go buy some crypto and the way you buy crypto is you use some of your fiat money, your US dollars or your British pounds or your euro dollars mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you convert that into a coin and then you use that coin to buy stuff. Mm-hmm. So so these early Bitcoin 
millionaires um, mm-hmm. got very excited about buying art. And mm-hmm. I actually did a survey last fall of crypto collectors uh, on Twitter, by the way, you have to be on Twitter a lot if you want to be involved in the NFT space right now. Yeah. That's a deal breaker for a lot of people right there. Um, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Some people are allergic to Twitter. I've I've actually warmed up to Twitter again. I took a couple of years off and now I'm kind of back on it. And, yeah, it's it goes yeah. in waves like that yeah. for people. Um yeah. but but anyway, so now these you know, people that have value and they're buying NFTs and they can plug their, uh, you know, there, there's a website, Try Showtime, that shows what's in your wallet if you, you know, create an account there. So that's one way you can see who owns what. And there is oh, status and, and prestige attached to owning NFTs. Um, and, mm-hmm. and most, you know, something like 65, 70% of the collectors did not want the physical art at all. They just want to own the token for the art. Interesting. And if you think about it, a lot of them are young. Um, they live in an apartment. They, yeah. you know, heaven help them if UPS started delivering all this stuff they were buying, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in physical reality. Still, like your work is lovely. It, it, I would have opted for, you know, I like putting stuff on the wall. I mean, that's just me. Mm-hmm. Well, they make now, and this is very nascent early level, it's going to only get better, but they make something called smart screens where you connect your wallet to a big or small digital um, screen monitor, or, you know, what looks like a computer monitor, um, and it can show your what's in your wallet and can show your art collection in that way. So so it actually decrypts your wallet and then shows. Yes. It shows the contents of your, uh, the, the JPEG tokens that you've collected right. or MP4s. A lot of people sell video art as well. Right. Wow. It, if some, if, if I wanted to do something like that, mm-hmm. um, what would be a good place to start? Is there a platform that helps you create an NFT of a, you know, of a piece of art you've made? Like what, what was your journey? And cause you know, there's a bit of a learning curve with this stuff. It's pretty new. Like what was your learning curve like? And what well, tools? Again, I'm fortunate because I have my partner, Shane, who was a few months before, ahead of me and he did a lot of the, um, yeah. rummaging around in the darkness to figure out how things work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I actually gave a talk uh, that's I did on a Zoom webinar um, that's on my YouTube channel. I'll send you a link to that. Andrew. Oh, yeah. Definitely put um, that in the show notes. That's a place that people can start. And then I, you know, we just recommend people get on Twitter. And so hmm. there are a number of NFT platforms. OpenSea is by far kind of like the the Macy's, the target mm. um, of the space. It's the largest by far, and they have, all of the platforms have good help docs. Mm-hmm. Uh, OpenSea is great because anyone can mint their art there. Uh, many of the oh, other okay. art platforms, you have to be accepted. Uh, mm. There's a jurying process, and that is definitely more challenging. Um, mm-hmm. But the way to make that work for you is to get on Twitter and 
most of these <laughs> platforms have a Discord uh, server. Yep. And so you can so. ask questions all day long there, and there are people who will help you. Hmm. And then you'll get to know people, and then they'll, when it's time for jurying, you know, they'll help support you. And jurying is the approval process where they're going to let you into their platform to make an NFT or not? Yes. Okay. Have you used, uh, have, have you made any of your NFTs via OpenSea? Yes. Have... Okay. Yes. Uh, that's the first place I went to. And I put some of my uh, black and white drawings up there. Um, oh, yeah. That's another little project that I do that I consider to be sort of channeled art. Yeah. Uh, so I put those up there. And then my photographs, I put uh, some on Ephemera, which is a lens-based platform just for photography and video. Hmm. And then uh, I have uh, another one I sold was on Foundation, uh, which is, uh, you know, one of a handful of uh, NFT platforms that, you know, has... Good quality art and both, both, uh, let's see, ephemera and the foundation both accept ether. Mm -hmm. Um, foundation, you can get invites from other artists, that's their method of getting people onto the platform. Ephemera is Ooh, juried, okay. so they right, right. curators review your work to decide to accept you there. Well, it but you've, you've done a talk on just sort of, you said on YouTube, you've got one. Is it sort of like your introduction to it? You kind of sort of. Yes. I've, I've been giving, uh, this is the second time I've given this talk and it hmm. is aimed at artists and gallerists and art collectors. Hmm. And so it's a, an introductory one hour lesson that. Love it. Hopefully gives people a sense of the mechanics and the culture and, you know, just sort of the lingo <laughs> so that you, yeah. feel, you don't feel completely outside the loop. Well, this is the thing, Rox, as you know, like there's a lot of jargon. There's Tons. a lot of like specific, right? <laughs> and, and it's very easy for people to be like, whoa, 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 slow that train down. What you did what to the Satoshi? Yeah. <laughs> and a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's like, it you, is. Wh where, where is my wallet being backed up to? Um, and it's definitely easy to be intimidated by this because it's all really, really new. But I, I kind of want to ask the uh, devil's advocate question and then we can go Good. into the after show. Um, which will be at patreon.com slash hello Crusoe or andrewcrusoe.com slash podcasts has the link to the Patreon where you can support the show. Let me keep doing this show. I really appreciate everybody who supports the show. And uh, yeah, every... Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, uh, at least a couple times a month, we have a brand new fresh after show for you. Um, my devil's advocate question is, what do you tell people who go, NFTs are just a huge bubble, they're all overpriced? Because um, I've heard this talk of people being really critical of NFTs. You know, and I think a lot of the NFTs, well, I don't, I, maybe I don't know enough about this to really comment. So maybe mm -hmm. I'll slow my roll. Well, I will simply, the short answer is you may be right. Yeah. Um, we don't know where it's going because it is too new. And it is overlaid with a lot of idealism. And yeah. as, as a long 
term idealist and optimist, you know, I can relate. On the other Mm -hmm. hand, as a 69-year-old person who has watched the internet since 1993, when I first got my first email account at CompuServe, um, I have seen, and from the 60s, when I was, you know, protesting the Vietnam War and civil rights and all that, I look how slow things change. Look how Mm. much corruption is built into humanity, you know, and, and this space, it, it mirrors a lot of the early internet in terms Mm. of remember when people said, I don't need email. I have a phone and voicemail or a fax. Yeah. I mean, we dealt with that for years with our business clients. And what do I need a website for? I have a brochure <laughs> and a telephone pages at yellow pages ad. You had clients who who argued about getting an email address with you? Yes. Wow. <laughs> I think I may have just missed that one. It they didn't want to be bothered because they had tools yeah. that were working for them. And yeah. and in fairness, email only works when a lot of people have it. It's like yeah. fax machines, you know. The first people who got fax machines didn't have anybody to fax to because there wasn't a receiving machine yep. on the other end. And now we're waiting for fax machines to die out. Exactly. <laughs> and now <laughs> or they're all they've gone completely digital. So Make it go away. So there's yeah. that. But so so we have this well, why do I need NFTs? Why do I need crypto? Why, you know, yeah. there's and those are valid questions. We don't know where it's gonna go. And mm-hmm. here's what's a little different. Which there's, well, there's a couple things that are different. One, on the positive side, in a smart contract, which is the crypto transaction of buying an NFT, mm-hmm. the the platform right now, most of the platforms control this, but but increasingly artists can write their own contracts and mm-hmm. you set a resale percentage. So the typical story of an artist is you're you're a poor starving artist so you sell your paintings for super cheap cuz you need to pay rent this month and then yeah. you know in 10 years you get famous and those paintings are selling for millions of dollars and the gallerists and the art advisors and the collectors are trading your work as if it were an a stock and they're the ones making money on it and you don't see a dime because yeah. no one ever had a system for tracking that with NFT art, the smart contract dictates and the technology, the blockchain executes that whenever there is a trade, a sale, then the artist gets a small percentage every single time. So the Whoa. secondary market for, for art sales in NFTs is huge and robust and where a lot of the action is. And a lot of artists now intentionally sell their work for cheap so that it will start bidding wars on the secondary market because they get a share of that. They're going to get a cut every time it changes hands in perpetuity. Yes. I did not know that. So that is the big plus for artists. The big downside is that it's just coders building all of this. And many of them are young, no offense to young people out there, but you haven't seen the dark, dark side Mm -hmm. of the underbelly of humanity enough Mm -hmm. to know how much you have to build to protect against that. So there's a lot of stealing and scamming going on. 
And wow. it's a race right now, the good guys and the bad guys. You know, and I don't know who will win, but because it's decentralized, because there are no gatekeepers for the most part, again, in air quotes, mm-hmm. generally Like speaking, RSS. Yeah. Decentralized. <laughs> Anybody can put out a podcast. <laughs> um. So that's that's our that's our challenge right now is how do we mm. create this system and strengthen it and keep its positives and mm. keep the you know I mean look at what that's what the you know a, a lot of the Russian and the Chinese and the Iranian um, because they're you know through their governments they're hacking into our utilities and they are demanding mm. crypto payments. Um, right. hoping moon. that they're not traceable. The U.S. government is is actually able to trace some of that, but that's yeah. that's kind of the rub right now. Nobody wants any, you know, everybody wants to be autonomous and um, anonymous, mm-hmm. two A's. But if it's 100% that way, then when, I mean, I fell for a scam myself, uh, oh, just no. to wrap this up, uh, last mm. fall, and I lost one ETH. I had just basically the what I had made on my <laughs> selling my photos, Aww. I lost. Um, and it was my own fault. It, it mm. was a very good scam because I fell for it. Um, I'm very surprised, yeah, because you're extremely intelligent. You I'm, must have been... I'm pretty good, but pretty I good, still yeah. fell for it, and I lost that money. And I can see... Because the transactions are visible, they're on the blockchain, yeah. which anyone can can view. I can see the wallet that took my money, and <sighs> the next wallet that they moved that money to. Yep. But I don't know who they are. I can't send a government after them. Nope. So, it's weird. <laughs> Although, don't don't and don't put anything anywhere that you're not prepared to lose. Well, especially if the wallet is not on your own drive, uh, that, that's part of it too. Just for reference, just mm-hmm. just for the people listening to this, and hopefully twenty thirty, um, the current uh, resale value of one Ethereum coin is three thousand two hundred and eleven dollars. So, rocks lost. It, it was some about twenty four hundred when I lost, lost mine. It. Okay. Yeah, that sucks. But here's the thing. I I was communicating with another person uh, who fell for this same scam, and he lost over a million dollars. Wow. So this is also the sobering thing. And many of the um, Bitcoin investor experts that I've spoken to, um, they say, you know, almost everybody's had some kind of a problem. Mm. It's like mm-hmm. it it it's no matter how smart you are it's it's amazing but uh pretty much that's part of the early learning curve mm. for being in the space. So yeah. have multiple wallets, have combination <laughs> hardware software wallets. Again, we're talking gobbledygook. <laughs> yeah, but, maybe a good way to end this would just yeah. be any tips to avoid being scammed? How did, you know, what would you have done differently? What signals did you miss perhaps? Yeah. And then we'll go on. Well, the one show. thing is, is if it's too good to be true, it probably is. That's, That's how I feel about Kava right old now. adage. Yeah. And it's hard because, you know, the scammers have gotten so good at 
mm-hmm. spoofing legitimate processes and mm-hmm. entities. So even when you think, you know, you're doing things right, you know, so, so yeah, if it's too good to be true, probably is go slower than you think is humanly possible. Dot every T cross your eyes, cross mm-hmm. your T's dot your eyes. Um, you know, don't do things late at night. No, yeah. <laughs> that's good advice. Um, unless that's your freshest time of day. I mean, th- know when you are the most clear thinking and then right. do your hard stuff then. Yep. Know yourself, you know, when am I at my best and don't have five other things going on at the same time. Basic, um, you know, productivity principles. I kind of wonder if it makes more sense to sell NFTs right now than to buy NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, by all means, sell if by all means sell if you can, but that's kind of one of the fun parts of the of the community, the space. It's very community centric and artists mm-hmm. are buying from each other a lot um, because they want to support each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to sell. If you look at the overall trends, um, sales are way down from what they were last mm-hmm. fall. Mm-hmm. So everyone's feeling this bear market um, mm-hmm. depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people are just sitting quietly writing it out. Other people are still producing work on a steady basis. Um, there's there's a lot of gamesmanship in there. Um, and and then, you know, what, what people like me are trying to do is, is invite real art collectors into the space. Mm. Um, but for them, they're sort of sitting on the sidelines going, oh, it's pretty kind of chaotic in there Um, and more complicated like yeah it's not really there might not be something they're comfortable getting into because it's so exotic in some ways right but you know Mm -hmm. sotheby's and christie's are selling nfts you know the big auction houses are are selling nfts some of the bigger galleries pace gallery um, they're selling NFTs. It's it's coming along. And it again, if you just kind of substitute, you know, email and website <laughs> 20 right. years ago, um, very similar patterns. And for these kinds of things, in my experience, once it's out of the bag, you're not going to put it back. You know, not every artist is, is making a huge amount of money, but mm-hmm. many artists are making some money and they weren't making hardly any money before. Mm-hmm. So it's still an upside, but you have mm. to spend a lot of time promoting yourself on Twitter and that that's difficult. Yeah. But that's where you find the buyers right now. Wouldn't it be nice? You know, I have a, a slide in my talk, you know, where a customer walks into a gallery and says, I'm really interested in this painting and the gallerist, you know, in our near future, I hope is able to say, oh, that's wonderful. Would you like the NFT, the physical painting or both? <laughs> I think that's coming. Yeah. 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 So I could make, just wrapping it up. So if I wanted to make, if I wanted to do an experiment, Mm -hmm. which I like to do, I could make an NFT of uh, one of, you know, one of these lovely photos I have, maybe a, maybe a photo I took uh, of a Hawaiian monk seal. Mm -hmm. And with that, does, does the copyright pass to... The person who gets the NFT, is that generally the agreement? Generally not. Oh. 
generally the default pl uh, contract is that the artist retains all copyright. So when you when the person buys the NFT, they have the right to display it through their wallet, but they don't have the right to print it on a hundred coffee mugs and give those away at Christmas. Oh. So what's the incentive? Is it mostly, do you know what I mean, from the mm -hmm. buyer's perspective? Mm -hmm. um, they get to say they own the one of one of that monk seal. Right. And they do get to display it on their smart screen. Right. And nobody else gets to display it on their smart screen. Right. But because it's a JPEG and, you know, the smart people in your audience are already going, well, but I can right click and save that JPEG. <laughs> yeah. And this is, this is the irony slash lunacy of NFTs. And right. I'm trying to understand this. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, that's true. But if you think of the Mona Lisa, Everybody and their brother and sister and cousin has taken a picture of the Mona Lisa. If they see it in the Louvre, has that devalued the Mona Lisa or, mm -hmm. or increased the value? Well, mm -hmm. now that everybody knows about the Mona Lisa, there still can only be one owner. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. that one owner still gets to, you know, take their painting and go home. Mm -hmm. Um, Many people aren't aware of this, but in the art world, um, very high-end collectors who own Monet's and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Chagall, Kandinsky's. whatever, famous yeah. paintings, mm -hmm. they have an art, they have artists replicate them. Mm -hmm. And that's the painting that you see in their Manhattan penthouse apartment mm -hmm. is a copy mm -hmm. because the original is, quote, so valuable, it lives in cold storage quite literally priceless yes mm. so humans we have this ability to overlook these um inconsistencies or <laughs> some would call them hypocrisies or <laughs> uh, or whatever's <laughs> yeah interesting well this is a lot to think about it is. It, it's very mind bending, um, for sure. Do you but think the thing is, is it's happening? So you know, if you're one of those people that says accept reality, <laughs> it's, a, it's a reality. People are spending a lot of money on stuff that is yeah. just a digital file. Yeah, I mean, and from a certain perspective, we've we, we've been doing that for a while, and the, the difference is that it's more money and it's guaranteed ownership in the blockchain, mm -hmm. which that's the incredible thing. I think that's the real legacy of this. Like who knows if Ethereum will be around in 20 years, it probably will be, but the concept of a blockchain recording all these transactions and it being completely like what you were saying earlier, you can see the person, the wallet of the person who stole from you. <laughs> now is that wallet address attached to a name? Could you ever trace that back to a human? That might be tough. Um, although, you know, I would also say crypto is not anonymous. Uh, all it takes is one slip up. I, I don't treat crypto as anonymous at all. Mm -hmm. uh, even though in theory it kind of could be, but it's not, it's yeah. True an anonymity is really challenging. Um, you know, I think that the, the blockchain is just incredible what it's able to do to just to, to backtrace 
people that don't know, like the blockchain is just the list of every transaction that's ever happened since day zero. It's completely transparent. And that, I think that's the ramifications of that idea being implemented are, we're still in the early days. It's wild. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Sorry, I feel like I got up on a soapbox just now. I just <laughs> I got What's inspired. a podcast without soapboxes? Come oh, on. <laughs> that's what you got to do. Every in the episode, you got to get on a soapbox. Be like, I believe. But we people should definitely check out your talk. It's going to be uh, in the show notes at andrewcrusoe.com slash podcasts. I don't think that URL will ever change. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show, Rox. We're going to do a little after show. Uh, is there anything you'd like to point people toward? On, on the computer internet where we all live now. Well, I, I, if anyone wants to connect with me, I would love to hear from you. And you could find me pretty much anywhere at Roxanne Darling, all one word. You got it. Makes it easy. Yeah. And, and uh, people can find me in most places at sign Hello Crusoe on most things. Yeah. It's nice to have that kind of consistency, but um, sometimes it's tough. But you... You got your name on all these. That's that's admirable. Sometimes that's difficult. Yes, it <laughs> makes it easy for everybody. Mm-hmm. Highly recommended. <laughs> well, thank you so much again, Roxanne, for coming on the show. Um, yeah, um, maybe we'll have to have you back on sometime. We always have so much to talk about. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Aloha. Aloha. Wow. I Once again, I learned so much from this interview. I want to say thanks again to Rox for coming on the show. It was an honor and a joy, frankly, to interview her. And we actually did an after show that had a lot of fun surprises in it. If you want to hear that, you want to hear about Roxanne's wild near-death experience, you get that and all the other after shows when you support the show on Patreon. So my Patreon is patreon.com slash hellocrusoe that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash h-e-l-l-o-c-r-u-s-o-e i want to say thanks again also to everyone who has ever supported this show in any way whether it be my beautiful patreon supporters anyone who has left a review on apple podcasts or google podcasts anything that you've done even just subscribing it means a lot to me and i want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Hopefully I'll see you in the after show, but even if I don't, thank you so much for listening, for subscribing. Thanks again for being here. And I've got more coming. Aloha.